most lenders are charging between one and two points. So you're going to hear often, oh, this hard money loan is going to be for 8.5% and one point. That means that your 12-month interest-only rate is at 8.5%, and you're paying 1% of the loan amount up front right when you close. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show. I'm super excited to have my friend Justin Chang on today. Uh, Justin is an aspiring real estate investor based in Southern California, and I've known him since, what, like 12, 13 years ago when we were both on the Dragon Boat team back at UCLA. So it's always fun to hang out, and uh, I'm excited because, you know, this time uh, we don't have like a featured guest per se. Uh, Justin is, you know, an aspiring real estate investor. He has experience with uh, construction, buying his own properties and whatnot, uh, but he does have questions about hard money loans. And I figured, hey, I do hard money loans. I don't think I've done an episode about it. So now I'm here to answer his questions. So we're kind of going live here as if many of you guys, you know, call me on, on my phone and ask me questions. And instead of repeating it a thousand times, we can just have the questions here and then everyone can hopefully uh, listen to it. So Justin, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Yeah, um, I've been listening to your uh, podcast, you know, everything REI for a long time already. So, you know, and on top of my head, whenever I have a question, I just think of calling you. So. I guess this is the the next step above that. <laughs> yeah, man, I appreciate it, and you know, it, it's always cool to uh, help out, help out friends when whenever I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we jump into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your situation and like why you are looking for a hard money loan? Yeah. So, do you want to go back into how I even started in real estate in general? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever you want. Yeah. So, you know, I have a background in mechanical engineering, uh, fairly similar to yourself. Um, obviously we met at UCLA, so that's kind of where it all started. Uh, we both worked at the same company, which is a funny thing at Northrop. <laughs> that's right. We did. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and we're both kind of in this, um, real estate realm now. And so for me, you know, as a mechanical engineer, I always wanted to build stuff and I had a chance to um, renovate my friend's home with him in Redondo beach. And I loved it, you know, bringing some old outdated, you know, beach house into something super modern, super beautiful with my own hands. It's like, kind of what you, I became an engineer for. And it was it was great to transform that. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to buy my own property in Marin Del Rey last year and needed a lot of work, just like all the properties in LA. And I was like, you know, I'm an engineer, I can do this. So I did it myself. And it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. I loved it. Obviously, super hard work. It was like 10, 12 hours a day doing my own demo, trash, arranging all the contractors. I GC my own place. And I was like, I think... I think I can do this. So, um, you know, maybe like six months after that, um, I had a couple of friends buy homes as well. And they're like, hey, I really like your place. Well, we checked it out. Um, do you ever think about doing someone else's? You know, we interviewed a bunch of GCs and contractors and we just don't really know where to start. And I was like, hey, you know, I, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll try it out. So, you know, since then I've, I've renovated uh, two homes, um, a couple restrooms, and I have a couple projects down the line now too. So, um, dude, that's cool because I mean, like when I got started with real estate investing, I, I didn't do any of that. Right, I, I just hired a GC, and obviously, it's good because like we could have him do the work while I work on my full time job or do other activities. But the best thing is, I don't know how it works. Right, I don't know how to do plumbing. So right now, I'm getting my bathroom fixed. Right now, I don't know what they're doing. Like I'm watching them. I see. Okay, I, I get it, but I couldn't do it myself if I had to do it. 
Yeah, so what's cool on the on the back end is that like uh, with the mechanical engineering background, you can kind of figure all this stuff out. I mean, it's it's pretty much like Legos, um, expensive Legos. So you know, I've learned how to do framing and drywall, some plumbing. I can do all all the finish work. Um, you know, learn all the little tools and knickknacks like from some of the contractors along the way. They all teach you a little bit of something, like a little trick they know. And I've collected, I've amassed like a pretty large idea of how to do a full house i just actually learned an interior i haven't done exterior yet but you know it's, it's been it's been going great and you know, the only the only fault right now is probably not having an actual license <laughs> so i mean you don't need one though for owner occupied or i guess for like owner build right you don't need a gc license to that you can sub all your own guys and stuff owner permit too if you want to for yourself but i've been doing my, like friends and family so that's like the gray area <laughs> i guess so especially if you're taking yeah. money from them but yeah, well, in any case, <laughs> anyways, so, I mean, that's, that's basically where I'm at now. So, you know, flipping, you know, helping other people create a, a home to live in, um, not just like a house, but you know, a home for the family and the kids. It's like amazing seeing the reaction at the end. That's really like the, the payoff, but you know, everyone wants to make money. So <laughs> at some point I'm like, Hey, I want to, I think I want to try to flip houses, but I don't have the capital. I just bought my own million dollar home. And it's, you know, a lot of money. Every, every every homeowner in California knows that. So I was like, how do I get around this? And I remember listening to one of your podcasts saying you do hard money loans. And you kind of mentioned how, you know, if you're a flipper, you know, this is for you. So I think that's what led to me calling you a couple of weeks ago. And uh, now here we are. So, you know, I have a lot of questions. I think, you know, I know I'll benefit from, but, you know, anyone else listening to this podcast will also benefit. Oh, for sure. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, it's always kind of tricky to like figure out who I should bring on because sometimes people call me, they don't really know me and they ask me all the same questions. I'm like, all right, that was good. But now they don't know the answers. Whereas for you, I've known you for like 13 years. So I know you're going to, you're, you're going to be great. Um, and I guess I want to iterate it too. Like what happened was when Justin called me, he wasn't even thinking about hard money, right? You were thinking about how do you just get started flipping? How do people do it? Um, how do you get another loan for like a million dollar property in LA if you already have a million dollar home in LA? Like, you can't qualify for that, even with a, a dual income with no kids. It's very hard to do it. And people were like, do, do people just have stacks of cash? And I was like, no, man. Uh, most people use hard money. Even like the multimillionaires, people making millions of dollars a year flipping houses, they still use hard money because they want to leverage what they have to do more projects at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also I think everyone, when they start in real estate, they, they're always trying to do everything, you know, so... Like people want to do wholesaling, they want to do flipping, they want to just do maybe GC reno, or they want to do out-of-state rentals, you know, and I think that was part of our conversation as well. So, you know, this is just one avenue. Obviously, I'm going to try this out, but, you know, maybe you pivot, maybe you don't later. But even if you do pivot, I think hard money loans would would still help if you want to flip, you know, out-of-state or multiple. The the prices are, are lower, so it'll still apply no matter what direction you go. Exactly. So happy to answer any of your questions. Let's hit it. All right. So, I mean, I guess as, as a basis, like what is, what's the basic cost for a hard money loan? That's always number one, right? It's all money. Like how much can I leverage my money to do a flip? Okay. So I'm pretty sure this question is going to be a depends answer. So it depends on your experience. It depends on your credit score and it depends on the firm that you're working with. So for example, I went to a conference, bigger pockets conference a few weeks ago. Uh, we are a nationwide lender. So we have a lot of funds basically unlimited. And so our rates are going to be very competitive, but we do have like regulations, you know, like we have to follow some certain guidelines. Whereas there are other hard money lenders that don't care. Like as long as you have a pulse, they'll let you have the loan, but they'll charge you a lot of interest. 
So it's kind of like a spectrum. Uh, where that spectrum lies, the lowest I've seen a hard money loan is 6.5%. Okay. But that is for like a super top tier, top tier, top tier borrower. And the company actually probably will lose money on a deal like that. So most companies will not do like 6%. They'll probably be in like the 8% range, especially if you're a new investor. And besides the rate, which is like your annualized interest only rate that you're paying on the loan, uh, lenders often also charge something called points. So points are like an, an origination fee. So to do the loan, you're going to be paying a certain percentage of the loan amount as well in points. Uh, most lenders are charging between one and two points. So you're going to hear often, oh, this hard money loan is going to be for 8.5% and one point. That means that your 12-month interest-only rate is at 8.5% and you're paying 1% of the loan amount upfront right when you close. So th the interest rates vary a lot. Um, I know for our company, we're going to be around the 8 and 9% range for newer investors. And we're probably going to charge one and one and a half points for newer investors as well. So let's get down to like the, the nitty gritty numbers, right? So you're saying if you were experienced and not experienced, it can range from 20% down or 10% down or 80% funded, 90% funded. Yep. So what dictates one over the other? Like what are the criteria to qualify for a 10%? Yeah. So again, every company is different, but for our company, we base it off of how many properties you personally have had on title. So if you say you, you have experienced doing other people's projects, but you're just a GC, right? You're not the investor. So that doesn't count. If you're a wholesaler, you know, you sold a contract, but you were never on title. So that doesn't count either. Um, but what does count is if you have rental properties, if you flip houses within the past three years. So all those uh, properties that show up on a tile search with your name associated, those count. And now people are asking, well, like, what if I have an LLC? You know, like, does that count too? It actually does because what you can do is we can do a tile search on the LLC, find all the properties there. And then in that LLC's operating agreement, it will show that you have a certain percentage of the LLC. So as long as you have 20% or more of the LLCs that have done these projects, then that counts towards your experience as well. So if I were to say GC 50 homes or something, then I would still count as zero. But is there a way for me GCing a property to have those properties count as experience? I mean, not, again, not for our company. It could be for another company. Okay, that's fine. If you have experience, if you're like a super uh, well-known realtor in the area, or you have a lot of experience as a GC, then it counts, right? It, it can help you, but it doesn't mean you're now qualified for super best rates because it's your first deal. Where you're putting your own money on the on the line, and the payments you mentioned previously. So, say it's uh, whether it's eight percent or twelve percent. I think you mentioned it was interest only. It's That's not right. principal and interest, right? So, um, on top of that, so it's interest only. The one percent, can you roll that into the plan, or is that a fixed fee you pay up front? Yeah. So most closing costs you pay up front. So like your title, your escrow, notary fees, and your origination fees, those are paid up front. Let's say you have one point, right? And the loan's for a million dollars. So one point of that is $10,000. That means that our company will only lend you 990000 But then we'll say you owe us a million. That's kind of how it works out. It's one point up front. Just means that we're giving you less money. So the one point up front, then does that mean you can... Because I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much cash you need to have in your pocket, right? So does that mean that it does kind of roll into the loan amount, but then you guys just get paid out at the end for that? Or uh, no, you, you would just think of it as having a higher down payment, right? So if you're doing an 80% loan with us and you have a certain amount of closing costs, so instead of just saving 20%, maybe you need like 22%. 
because 2% of that will go towards closing costs. Okay. And then uh, let's get back, let's get into the, uh, the renovation half of the hard money loan. Yeah. So, you know, the, the home purchase is pretty straightforward. It's just like buying any other home, but the renovation. So say you buy a million dollar home, but you have a hundred thousand renovations just for easy calculation. Yep. You say you'd get the same percentage. So say if, because I'm new, it'd be 20%. So if I told you I needed a hundred thousand in renovations, you'd only reimburse me 80,000 overall. I, I, that's a negotiating point too. So it's possible, you know, like for our most experienced investors, we can do 90% of purchase and hundred percent of rehab. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to do 80% of purchase and hundred percent of rehab. And can you explain the process of submitting for uh, getting money back on the rehab and uh, what's the timeline of say, um, you know, my flooring guy came in first, I paid him $20,000 today. After I talk to you guys, how long will it take for me to get reimbursed for that amount? Yeah. Great question. So for the rehab, well, I, I'll talk about the whole rehab process. Okay. So in the very beginning, um, if you say, Hey, I need a rehab loan with it, then right from the get go, we're going to need that scope of work from you. Uh, we do have our own template. Again, every different hardware lender is different, but for us, we have a template that we're going to ask you or your GC to fill out that breaks down the exact line item of what things cost and yada, yada. We'll send that to a third party company to do something called a feasibility study. So that feasibility study is basically an appraisal on your scope of work just to make sure that these numbers are, again, in the realm of reality. Your GC isn't just writing some BS numbers that are super high or super low. Now that increases your processing fee by $650 because we are sending that to a third-party company. Once that's approved, and again, let's let's do two examples, okay? One's the 80% version and the other is 100% of rehab. And again, your rehab costs for 100,000. So in the 80% version, first of all, you as the investor are gonna decide how many draws you wanna do. So when you request a reimbursement, they're called draws. Um, you will send that draw request out back to our team kind of describing like what phase, like how much you paid. Well, I guess breaking down like what you paid so far with invoices and receipts and whatever, we will send an inspector over to take photos and report back to us what you did. And then they'll reimburse you 80 cents on the dollar of what you spent so far. Now in the 100% example, they just reimburse you everything you spent, you spent so far. Now, every time you do a draw, that does cost you $265. Again, every company is different with how they charge that. And for our company, it usually takes between like about one week from when you request a draw to you know finishing the whole inspection process and then getting your funds into your account. So that whole thing takes about one week. Okay, so a, a week. And so you're basically saying, depending how I plan my schedule, I can lump together multiple things at one time, get a larger lump sum, but I pay more out of pocket up front. But if I want to break it up and I'm trying to leverage a lot harder, then I can pay multiple draws, but then it's less money out of pocket. That's kind of like the strategy, I assume. Yeah, exactly. So some people, they do have multiple draws. Like our company, I don't think we have any uh, limitation or maximum to how many draws you have. Just realize that every time you do a draw, you are paying $265. And, and so for smaller loans, like smaller rehab loans, sometimes they don't even draw until they're done with the project. They just want the money so they don't like sit on it while they're trying to sell the property. Um, but I think on average, it's going to be between two and three draws for each property they do. And you mentioned that like typically for a flipper, you're saying you would pay a GC or have a GC fill it out for you. But in special cases, say like for me and I'm my own GC, is there any way to incorporate any other like fees for myself or, or costs incurred by myself in the process? 
either through having an LLC established or a C corp or something like that, or is this a rare, rare case? Yeah, it's a rare case. Uh, most people do hire out their own stuff. They don't like GC, and if they do GC, then they usually don't pay themselves. I guess it's a, a tricky situation that maybe you can talk directly to our contracting like head of construction to see how they handle it. Um, but yeah, it's a rare case. Most people don't just pay themselves. Yeah, I guess it's not for payment, but more for like any incurred costs. Because I ran everything I do construction is random incurred costs in between, you know. So a lot of times, I think some GCs end up lumping that into a GC fee, but it's kind of like like an accidental lump sum of cash. Yeah, you can definitely have like a contingency fee. Some people they put in ten percent on their scope of work, so they're borrowing more, but doesn't mean they have to tap into it. Okay. So contingency, is that a separate line on the form when you apply for the renovation fees? That's what they usually do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And so the terms, so you're saying that like it was 12 months, I believe, for the term of a hard money loan. Is there options for a lower rate for less time or a larger rate for say 18 months or something like that? Yeah. Good question. Uh, it's actually the opposite. I think for the longer duration loans, um, rates are actually more favorable. So, uh, and, and the reason is that for the longer term loans, like 24 month, 36 month, 16 month loans, um, there is a prepayment penalty period associated with that. So for our company, at least for our 12 and 18 month loans, there's no prepay penalty. So you have 12 months to do the project, but if you only need two months, that's great. Sell the property. You don't owe us anything else. However, if you need a longer time, like you're doing development or you're trying to like, you know, buy out tenants and all that stuff, then maybe you do want 24 months or 36 months, because that's the time frame it's going to take you to do what you got to do. But then again, the downside is we do expect you to have the loan for half of the duration. So if it's a 36 month loan, 18 months are like guaranteed to us. You know, we want at least 18 months of interest, but because of that, we can also lower your rate a little bit. So if you have a development project and you know, you're going to hold on to it for a long time, no matter what, you don't plan on refinancing, then sure go for a longer duration loan. And then we can lower your rate. So you're saying going from 12 to 18, you have a lower rate and there's no penalty to pay out early? Uh, 12 to 18 is pretty much the same. So it's like a wash, you know. But if you go to like 24, 36, it's like, okay, maybe we can bend the rules a little bit more and uh, lower your rate a little bit. I see. So you would say almost standard people go with 18 month then because if you pay off early, there's no penalty anyways. You don't have to pay off the last six months that are additional to the 12 but then you have a lower rate. So wouldn't that be more favorable to go to the 18 or you're saying 18 and 12 are the same? Correct. It is. But in reality, most people just do 12 because it's standard and 18 is kind of like you have to ask for it and then they don't ask. So then we don't bother. I see. Yeah. And plus it's like, it's like most people don't need 18 months, right? When you do a flip project, it usually takes you four to five anyway, right? It takes you one month or two months to do the rehab, one month to like make it pretty and then one month to close escrow. Like, so it's four months. Um, and so the subcontractor you, you use, is there any requirement for them to be um, licensed or insured or anything like that? Or there's no criteria for who you use a subcontractor? From my understanding, um, there is no requirement on that sense, but I do believe we do need to pull permits. So if that's going to impede your permit process, then that might be the issue. Got it. Okay. Oh yeah. And of course, I think if you're just paying with like straight cash cash, it has to be documented, right? So you can't just give them like hundred dollar bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, understood. And we take a hard money loan from you. You pay part of the house. I assume when we sign for the house that we're co-signing it. And then when we sell, how does the money get distributed? Yeah, great question. So a hard money loan, at least 
you know, for our institutional kind of money, um, we are in a first lien position. So it's no different than just getting a loan at Wells Fargo or Chase. They are in first position. So when you sell the property, the person in first position gets paid first, and then whatever remainder is what's left to you. So that's like your profit. Okay. And so only what I receive is taxable income, right? I don't pay taxes on whatever is paid out to you guys for the base loan. Actually, it's even less than that, right? So you only pay on your profit. You pay taxes on your profit. So our loan is going to be 80% of your purchase price. You're selling for above your purchase price. Our loan is going to be less than your purchase. So yeah, you only pay taxes on your profit. I see. So a million dollar property, say we borrowed 800,000 and I sell for 1.2, I get taxed on the 200. Yeah. But then of course you minus all your closing costs, your agent, rent a fees. Exactly. So whatever is left, that's your profit. Got it. And, you know, if you get really, really overzealous, I mean, are there any limitations to like how many loans you can take out simultaneously or like what's the span between hard money loans you can take? I know, you, you know, you don't want to over leverage like $5 million cash. But... Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's how I got in trouble. So just take it, take it with for me. Uh, don't, don't do that if you're just getting started. But if you are an experienced investor, you have great crew, you have a lot of liquidity. I mean, I don't see any reason to not give you more loans. Like we have people who are doing like $5 million in loans every single month, right? From like four or five different properties and they're just doing it nonstop. So, so there's no real limit as long as you have the financial means to do the deals, right? We don't want to give you all this money and you, you end up not being able to do your projects and you go bankrupt. That's, that's no go. It's basically a GC version of an 09 housing crash. <laughs> yeah. So don't, don't do that. Just do it. Take it slow, you know, make sure you have a lot of liquidity, right? Cause you never yeah. know. You never know when something happens. Property doesn't sell for what you expect it to sell. Um, you have to hold on to it longer. These things happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's always good to be safe. It's just, you know, good to know when you, when you feel like you want to take off <laughs> what your limitations are. I mean, that's true. I mean, there are some other lenders. I know they, they like have max exposure, like $2 million per person, no matter what. Uh, whereas for us, that's not the case. If you can do the projects, we will fund the deals. And um, when you do the hard money loan, what happens if you say you have like a partner in the process? Is yeah. there a different way to go about it? Is there like um, a different type of contract? Is there, do you take both accounts, add them together, or only take the most experienced guy? Um, is that help? Does that help or hurt you, I guess? That's a great question. So typically for hard money loans, having a partner helps you. Um, because then you can combine your funds to show liquidity. Like, oh, by myself, I only have 100 grand, but with another friend, I have 200 grand. So now we can do bigger deals. Um, or like, hey, I have one guy that has a 700 credit score and another guy that has like a 650 credit score. Well, because two of you guys are together, I could look at the 700 guy. Um, now, again, this is the case for the short-term loan. For the long-term rental loan, it's a different story. And we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll skip that for this, this uh, podcast. Um, but generally speaking, having a partner helps you. Um, and also depends like how you're structured, right? So are you like both on the contract here or is this like a money partner, a silent guy? Like what, what scenario are you talking about here? I would think that maybe it would be both, you know, in one scenario I was thinking in my head is, yeah, if you have a money guy, so he maybe funds the house and then you fund the rental part, right? So you kind of put in, you're kind of a sweat equity kind of partner. And then actually the other one would be more so if you have, say, a friend who's actually licensed GC, he has a couple of projects and you want to get his lower rate and he trusts you to kind of use his name for the loan. 
would that kind of be possible too? Because I assume the experience is shared if you both sign it, right? That's correct. Yeah. So having a partner is beneficial, but just realize there is a little bit more complications to having a partner. Uh, more so in that you guys both have to sign loan docs. So what happens when you're here, you're ready to sign loan docs and your friend goes to Asia for a vacation? Then you have to wait because the only way to sign loan docs when you're out of the country is to go to an embassy. And there's no way you're going to have time to schedule an embassy while you're on vacation. That's happened to me several times. I was going to say, it sounds like some personal experience. It happened here. twice, dude. One went to Vietnam, <laughs> one went to the Philippines. And I was like, all right, bro, we'll just sign when you come back. So, so there's that. Uh, basically, if, they're, if you, both of you guys are okay with signing loan docs, then it's fine. We can have you guys both on the loan. Um, but let's say you have a silent partner. He only wants to fund the loan. Generally speaking, for our company at least, we don't want to see that happening because we want to see that you have skin in the game. We don't want you to be one of those investors, well, especially if you're new, right? If you're experienced, different story. But if you're a new investor, we don't want you to be just another investor who just you know, raises money here, raises money there. You have no skin in the game. And when the deal goes sour, you guys just bounce and everyone's screwed. Um, but I mean, there are some ways around that. You know, like If you really have a good partner who really trusts you, Again, one, he can sign the loan docs or two, he can, you know, fund you personally and then you do the deal, but then you deal with that separately. You deal with that separately. Like he cannot be like a second lien position on the property. He cannot go after it. You know, as far as the optics goes, we're the only ones on the loan. You and your friend have a separate agreement. That's not something that we look at. I see. So you're saying if I did sign with him though, does that not count as me having a record of flipping of like, flipping a house for a future hard money loan? Does it not go into my cat, my house count, I guess, you know, for the next time I apply for one? You mean if you're, if you're the private guy? So if I'm the guy that's contracting all the work and I have a private investor, we both sign, does that affect uh, my qualification for getting a lower percentage the next time I, I apply for a hard money loan? So as long as both you guys are on title and you sign on the loan, then yeah, it counts towards your experience. Okay. It's not like a, like a half point versus a full point or something like that. No. Yeah. I mean, cause we look at, we look at title reports, right? So if your name's on the title report, oh, you have experience. Got it. Okay. Um, and the, so you're saying title report. So that has to be buy and sold, bought and sold, or it's just like, if I own 10 properties and never sold any, that would still count. I mean, How does are, that they, count are they like rental properties or are they rehabs that are half completed? I think that's a little bit of a difference there too. Does, does it dictate that on the title? It doesn't, but you can kind of see, you're like, oh, he just bought 10 properties last week. You know, I'm not going to call you a super experienced investor, right? You just got to buy all the properties last week. But yeah. it's like, oh, he's owned these properties for like five, six years. He's held on to them. Okay, they're rental properties. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it counts. Yeah, I guess I was more saying like, oh, if I bought like one property every six months or one property every 12 months and I accrued that, you know, five properties over five years, but I bought them as is and left it, does that still count? I mean, the rentals, right? Yeah, that counts. Yeah, for sure. I okay. mean, you have experience as a landlord, you have experience holding on to them. It's just that, you know, we don't want to say, oh, this one guy, like in my previous example, he bought like 10 properties last week. He's not suddenly like a tier two borrower, right? He's still yeah. this guy that just bought a <laughs> bunch of properties all at once. Yeah. And my other question was during your renovation process, what happens if there's unexpected costs like crazy termiting or like, you know, kind of like more forces of nature things, right? Where say your whole subfloor is rotted or you have a sinkhole in the middle of your house, like, you know, just crazy things that, you know, happen some time to time. Are, are there any special um, exceptions to those kind of issues or, 
are we supposed to do our due diligence before asking for the hard money loan to kind of figure that out? You mean in terms of like your rehab budget and increasing the rehab budget? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So from my understanding, at least, um, once the rehab budget is set and we close, uh, that's it. That's all we held back for you. If you need to get more budget, then you need to refinance. So you have to call me again and we'd have to figure out like, okay, what to do here and then go through the long process again. And whether that costs another point, I don't know. Uh, I've never done a, re- a refinance like that. Usually <laughs> okay. if that happens, um, first of all, knock on wood, but like no one has ever had such a crazy problem where they couldn't <laughs> like fix it themselves. Like, okay, like, yeah. yeah, I had a hundred percent rehab budget, but I still have like another 30 grand to fix whatever random issues. So they were able to take care of it on their own. Yeah. But if that was the case, they would have to come back to me and do a refinance, basically. Okay. Yeah, it's always good to know. I feel like I'm just like always, you know, worst case scenario, glasses half full, kind of, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's good. It's good to ask questions now before you're knee deep into it. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. Oh, so 20, so 20, 10%. I mean, so obviously, you know, flips in, in LA are, are much more pricey than like, say, Scottsdale, Arizona, or like, you know, Dallas, Texas, or somewhere in Montana or something. So, are there different rules for different states or different like housing prices? Like if it, the house price drops like sub 200,000, you know, is there a higher chance of even a new flipper getting, you know, 90% covered or something like that? Um, it's, it's possible. I would say having good credit scores, having strong reserves and, uh, being, how do you say it? Like articulate with what you, what you planning, right? It gives yeah. the lender the confidence to give you these higher risk, like riskier loans. Um, if you just think back to it, like the reason, the reason why lenders don't just give everyone hundred percent, that's the way they protect themselves. So if they can lend less leverage, that's how they protect themselves. But if you can prove, Hey, I'm very successful. At what I do I have a million dollars in the bank. I just want 200,000 to leverage what I have. And we're like, Oh, in the worst case scenario, like this guy has amazing credit. He has a million dollars in the bank. He's not going to let this property go in default. Sure. Here's your loan. That, that's kind of like the general scenario. Whereas there are a lot of people who call me and they say, Sean, I'm a new investor. I want to get started. I have $10,000 in the bank. My credit score is 650. So yeah, I, I can't just go out there and give them 100% financing because <laughs> after we give them the loan, they're going to have almost no money to do the deal. And then they are at a higher chance of like failing. Um, so that's basically what it comes down to. So the cool thing about hard money loans is there's no real like set set guidelines. There's always room for negotiation. There's always yeah. room to talk to people, massage things, figure things out. And of course, like the, the more you do deals, the more you do one deal with a particular lender and they like you, yeah, they'll like give you a lot of amazing terms. So like I said earlier in this podcast, there are some people getting some amazing terms on their hard money loan that I didn't even know were possible. In fact, the company <laughs> loses money on them, but they're loss leaders, right? We do them yeah. because they're influential type of real estate investors. They do a lot of volume. And, and of course, on our side, right? If we have a lot of volume, we look like a bigger lender right? We're up there with the big boys. So that's why, you know, there's a, there's a lot of like negotiating and balancing going on here. Yeah. I mean, you're making less, but you're still making interest only on the loan, right? So, and low, low chance of defaulting. So you're not losing your shirt or anything. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just like, you know, it's, it's like it's either not profitable or you lose a little bit of money because it still takes time to originate these loans that are not profitable. Yeah. So, Oh, you know what? There's actually a really cool, um, there's a scenario I was thinking about yesterday. Okay. So, Let's just say I find a, a, a cheaper property out of state, $300,000. I rent away, we're done. I finish everything before your 12 months are up. Is there any way that I can, that I use the hard money loan to do my rehab by the place, but then 
like refinancing the home through another lender to give you guys your money back by still get to keep the property afterwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what people do all the time. Um, for us, we don't care what you do with the property, right? You can refinance with another hard money lender or break my heart, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect the numbers, right? <laughs> At the end yeah. of the day, the loan term state, like one, as long as you don't live in the property, right? Cause we only do investments or business purpose loans Correct. Uh, two you make your interest payments and three you pay off your loan before the due date so within that so 12 months it's... yeah whether you sell you refinance or you just hold on to it for 12 months and then you pay off with cash we don't care it's your your house your decisions i see okay yeah because i mean some people get like you know buyers remorse or there's like a crazy crazy like area and you didn't know it's going to appreciate even within the six months you're renovating you know, and the money, the, you know, the cash flow kind of makes sense. I can see myself having like, you know, second thoughts like, oh, maybe I should just keep it instead of selling it or something like that. Absolutely. You know? I mean, there's also the other scenario where the market went down and you're like, damn, I have this hard money loan on this property, but the value went down. But I believe in this area a lot. I don't want to sell it today. So you refinance into a long-term solution, something with a lower interest rate um, and you pay off the hard money loan and you just hold on to this property as a rental. That was going to be a flip. Um, or some people just buy a property with a hard money loan because they need to get an ASAP. Like the seller absolutely needs the money today and they need a cash offer and as is condition and you can't get conventional financing. So then they buy the property with hard money, they fix it up, they refinance into a long-term solution. Um, that's called like the birth strategy, right? You buy rent or you buy a rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, right? So it's the birth strategy. Um, people do it all the time with hard money. Absolutely. I guess they leave that hard money part out of the birth strategy oftentimes. <laughs> well, I mean, you could buy with cash. Yeah. Or hard money. It's up to you. I guess I've heard, I've listened to a lot of uh, different different uh, methods pertaining to Burr, but I've never actually, or maybe I just, it wasn't on top of my mind because I haven't really heard about it, but I never really hear about people taking hard money loans to do that. Yeah. But I guess it's not really typical about finance. It's about the actual renovation itself, so. Exactly. And I got to reiterate, like a hard money loan is a way to get into deals. So if you believe a deal is good, then paying the cost of the hard money loan is worth it because you're supposed to make more money than you're paying in hard money costs. If you're doing, if you're doing these deals and you're losing money because of the hard money costs, then it's not a good deal to begin with. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I do have another question too. So, you know, a lot of offers right now on the market, you know, everyone's like cash off. We want cash offer. So it's done tomorrow. So if, Wait, say we do a hard money loan and it's like 2080 on a million. If I put 200,000 and you guys put 800 to the seller, does that look like a million dollar cash deal for them? Or does it still look like a regular 20% down loan with a bank? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, so I guess I'll tell you how most investors do this. Okay, <laughs> When they write the offer, they write cash offer, but in the notes section, they say they have the option to use hard money loan. Okay. Some, some people just write cash offer too. That's technically not correct. You're supposed to let them know that you're still getting a loan. Um, now, the reason that people want cash offers isn't because they actually want cash. They just want a smooth process where right. you don't have BS appraisals. You don't have all this random stuff getting canceled last minute. You don't have to wait 30 days. You want to close quickly. Harboring loans satisfies that requirement. We get in, we don't ask too many questions, and we close quickly. Um, so that's why most agents, they say, oh, you're getting a hard money loan? Okay, it's equivalent to cash, more or less. So yeah. So you could do like what, like a 14-day 14, 14 close if people really needed to on, on hard money or what counts yeah, as man. A, a faster close? So like I advertise 10 to 14. Um, I have pushed it and done it in five. I hate doing okay. deals in five days, right? Because you need everything like, on the day one. 
aggressive. <laughs> so aggressive and it's so painful. Yeah. So painful. Yeah. And we get paid the same too, so it's not worth it. <laughs> I'll make sure to make it 10 minimum. <laughs> well, honestly, for new investors who haven't worked with us before, I just say 14. Because like as a borrower, right? You might be busy with your day job. Uh, you may yeah. not have all your systems in place. So I ask you, give me your purchase agreement. Give me your title prelim. Give me your insurance contact. Uh, give me this, this, and this. Like, it's not a huge list, but if you're not organized, you're not going to have that. And you're going to take two or three days to get it to me. So right there, we burned three days. So that's why I say, take your time, 14 days. The seller is like, bro, it's a week difference. You're not going to die. Well, hopefully you're not. Yeah. But like <laughs> a week won't make a difference, right? You, you yeah. think so. Yeah, I guess it'll just depend on your schedule. I was trying to see if there's any negative negative to it. I mean, if you if you waive all your contingencies, is there really a negative? But if you're going to rehab, I guess it doesn't really matter. Do most people waive all the contingencies with a hard money loan? Hell They're yeah, like, man. Especially in the Bay no Area. No inspection on that thing. You just walk in. Look, you can't win bids in the Bay Area if you have contingencies. I mean, that's just how hot the market is here. Um, yeah. That's probably the same case for the hot markets like LA and whatnot. Like people who people get conventional financing and they waive their they waive everything, you know? They waive appraisal, they waive inspections, they waive uh the loan, right? The loan drops out last minute, they're like, Oh, there goes my three percent EMD. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, we we bought our house in the beginning of COVID, so we were fairly lucky that the no one bid against us because no one wanted to walk into the house. We bought our house through Zoom, which is like insane. Wow. Um, neither of our realtors saw the house. <laughs> so competing in the market, I actually haven't had to deal with that yet, which is probably why I'm asking the, those questions. But yeah, I hear crazy stories of no contingency. And it's just, you know, makes your heart drop just a little bit. <laughs> Dude, my uncle bought his condo in Taiwan during the peak of the SARS pandemic back in 2002 or 2003. And he was yeah. like, it was great. Like no one bid against me. <laughs> it was on the fourth floor, which is bad for like Chinese people, you know? So he's yeah. like, yeah, I got this for a steal. <laughs> and so now it's worth way more money. Yeah, I mean Taiwan, yeah, they made out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I mean that's I think that's all the questions I have around you know hard money loans. So okay, sorry, I know I jumped back into it afterwards, but I assume no worries, <laughs> okay. no worries, absolutely. So yeah, Justin, thanks again for coming on the show. For anyone who's listening and you're interested in learning more about hard money loans, uh, you can feel free to reach out to me. My email is sean at everythingrei.com. That's s e a n at everythingrei.com. Happy to answer any of you guys' hard money lending questions. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.